Wonderful. I'm not wanting to uh, take too long this morning or go into too much depth in terms of teaching. I wanted to more, uh, more than that, I wanted to extend an invitation to come to the table and just to partake of what has been made available to us through this Good Friday, knowing what Jesus did for us on the cross by giving his body and shedding his blood. And I just wanted to look at five key aspects around approaching the communion table, what that, uh, what that does in expectancy and anticipation in our hearts as we approach for what God is wanting to do. So I wanna just read from Luke 22, verse 14. Jesus is speaking and it said, when the hour had come, he sat down and the 12 apostles were with him and he said to them with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. There was huge intentionality with Jesus in terms of coming to the table. There was huge desire. He said it wasn't just a desire to, to break bread with him, but there was that fervent desire in his heart because he knew what the full out working was going to be and what the next morning was holding for him. And so on the night before um, he was slain, Jesus was gathered with the disciples in the upper room. They were having a Passover meal and it was more than a religious observance. He was inviting them into a moment to partake of the fullness of his life. It's that word partake, it means to engage in, to share in, to join in, to take all that's available and that's what was happening. It was a picture of the truth of salvation that was being outworked that we see all throughout um, the, the scriptures. When we look and we see that Israel was led out, they were delivered of bondage from being in Egypt. That what was being symbolized in this moment. He was reinterpreting that practice of the Passover that had been happening for centuries. But in this moment, he was applying it to himself because he was becoming the ultimate Passover lamb. That was the significance of that moment as they were gathered in, in the upper room, knowing what would take place the next day. Because this was the last time that the Passover was going to be celebrated before the prophetic fulfillment of it would take place. That's what we're celebrating here today, Good Friday, the prophetic fulfillment of all that that meant when we look at the Old Testament being fulfilled and available to us in the New Testament. And so I want us to be aware of that because on that day at Calvary, the lamb was slain his blood was shed, his body was broken so that you and I, like the Israelites out of Egypt, could be delivered out of slavery, we could be delivered out of the dominion of sin, we could be delivered of the consequence of death. That's what was happening place on that Good Friday. That's what we get to celebrate here today. That's what we get to partake of as we come to the table. And so there's some great truths for us to celebrate. The first truth, and they're just gonna be five, the first one's the longest, so don't get worried at the length uh, of the first point. But the table is a celebration of victory. When we come to the Lord's table, it's a celebration of what was accomplished at the, at the cross for you and for me. We see this in Revelations 12 verse 10. It says, then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God Danat, the one who accused us, has been cast down. And they overcome him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. We were given a means to overcome the enemy through the blood of Jesus that was shed for you and me that Good Friday. That's what we're celebrating this Good Friday. So we see that it's something of victory. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. Whenever he speaks about breaking bread, he says, do it in remembrance of me. And then he also, he says, he gives thanks. 
It says he gives thanks whenever he was speaking into this as we look through the references. And so there's something that we need to realize in the approach that we come to the table that Katia so rightly just um, expanded on a little bit earlier is we, we come to realize that we have a thankful heart even as Jesus did in breaking bread. There's something of a thankfulness but there's also something of a victory because of what's been accomplished for us as we come uh, as we've seen in Revelation 12 because it prompts us to remember when it says do it in remembrance it prompts us to remember that Jesus has conquered the power of the enemy. That's why this table is a celebration of victory. It's telling us that through the cross, through his shed blood, Jesus has overcome the enemy. And as we partake of his uh, body and of the blood, we get to enter into the one who has overcome and know that the enemy has been defeated and know that the power of sin, death, know that the power of hell and all of that consequence has been removed as we receive the liberation of what Jesus has done for us. And we see it as we look in the Old Testament in the burnt offerings. Here's a picture I love coming across um, as I spent time preparing in the commentary. If we look in the Old Testament, whenever they would be facing a battle, whenever they would be in a struggle, whenever there was an enemy too strong, Israel had a fallback option. What they would do is they would go and they would bring a burnt offering before the Lord. And in the midst of that, the, the battle would turn and they would find favor to see victory take place. It was an amazing principle. We can see it as it took place in 1 Samuel um, chapter 7, verse 7, that Samuel offered a lamb as a burnt uh, sacrifice as they were facing the Philistines and were worried about being wiped out. And it says, the Lord came like a thunder on the Philistine army, confusing them, and there was a great victory. And in the same way, we, we don't, well, not in the same way, we don't get to offer burnt sacrifices here today. We don't get to say, I'm in a struggle. Uh, what can I do? What can I offer up? But we do know this, that Hebrews 10 verse 12 tells us that Jesus died for our sins, past, present, and future, once and for all. He doesn't need to die again. And we don't offer a burnt sacrifice, but we come to the table and we get to declare something of the outworking of his victory that is, turns the tide of the battle and brings us favor. That's why it's a, when we come, we partaking of the table, it's a, it's a celebration of victory and giving thanks. And that word Eucharist in the Greek, which is where we get the Lord's table and communion from, it actually means to give thanks. There's such power in giving thanks as we come to the table today. I want to say we can look and see even in the life of Jonah when he was swallowed by that fish, he started to give thanks and he saw his salvation. We look at Jesus when he took the, the five loaves and the two fish, and in that moment he gave thanks and it was multiplied. We see Jesus outside the tomb of Lazarus, who's been dead, and he gives thanks and there's resurrection life that takes place, and we know that Lazarus is brought back to life. There's a power that takes place when we celebrate his victory and we give thanks for what's been accomplished. And so that's how we approach the table. We approach the table knowing it's a celebration of victory. And maybe you're here today, and you're needing to know the Lord's victory in your situation. I want to say you can approach to know what that, uh, the outworking of that is in your life. The second point I want to bring is not only is the table a table of celebrating victory, but the table is a proclamation of redemption. When we come to the table, it's a proclamation of redemption. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 26 reads this. For as often as you eat this bread, and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
I love that phrase. Some other versions say as whenever you come or every time you come. But I love that it says for as often as you come because there's no limitation. We get to come and we get to partake and we get to receive of the vitality that we get from his life and the table as often as we come. And so we wanna take that opportunity today. But it also goes on to say that we get to proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. That's what we're celebrating. We get to proclaim that he died, but what he died means something more than just a cross. Because he said for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. There was something that was being outworked at the cross. And when we proclaim he died, we proclaim that we get to receive salvation. We get to proclaim that we have been redeemed. And when something has been redeemed, there's a cost. But I want to say that in your life and mine, he saw the promise of relationship with us is greater than the cross. So he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. There's something of a, a declaration, a proclamation, a profession, and a confession that happened individually but publicly as we gather to break bread and it's declaring that he died and in his death he has defeated the enemy once and for all in his dying death died that's that's the beauty of of being able to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes we proclaiming I've been redeemed but not only have I been redeemed wow this is good news this morning not only have I been redeemed but he's purchased life for me He's purchased life in its fullness, the abundance, the overflow of life. And so we get to proclaim that when we come to the table. We get to proclaim redemption, but we also get to, it's a place of communion. We get to proclaim that as a people. I want to say when we come and partake, not only individually, but corporately here today, when we come as individuals, but as families, but not only as family, as the family, as part of the wider family of God and partake of the table, there's a proclamation going out. Not only in our presence, but in the heavenly realms. It's thunderous. It's proclaiming his death and all that was purchased through the cross. And Julian's going to be sharing on Sunday and just bringing just a, such a beautiful um, picture of the gospel uh, and the goodness of God and really trusting for people to encounter him. So I want to encourage you to invite friends and family. It's going to be a, a wonderful time together because we are talking about Friday here today. But as Samuel L. Lockridge said, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. We're going to get to celebrate on Sunday. The third point I want to make is that the table is not only a celebration of victory. It's not only a proclamation of redemption, but the table is a declaration of dependence. There's something that we're declaring when you come to the table here today. John 6:53, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He wasn't talking about cannibalism, but he was talking about there's something that happens as we ingest that leads to incarnation. What do I mean by that? That's a big phrase. It means when we come and ingest, when we come and eat of, when we come and take of his life, there's something that happens in us of a digesting the, the nourishment, the life, the provision that he's giving. That means that there's an incarnation, which means we are becoming more Christ-like. We're coming and receiving of his life so that we can not only have his life, but we can become more like him. That's what's taking place. And he says, unless you do that, you have no life in you. Other versions say you have no eternal life in you. What he's saying is you don't have my life in you, eternal divine life. Eat of me, partake of the bread and the cup so that you can be doing it in remembrance. But we know that it doesn't become his body and his blood. But I also want to say it's not just grape juice and matzah. 
There's something more significant in that. Because as we do it in faith, what we are doing is allowing the work of the Spirit of God to take place in our life. As we are partaking of entering into, engaging with, joining in what He has done there, there's something of the outworking and the inworking of the flow of the Spirit's power to nourish and to provide life to us in every way. There's, some, there's a spiritual reality that's taking place that affects us even physically. And so we take place in recognition that we are dependent on his life to flow to us. It's a declaration of dependence as we come to this table. It's saying, Lord, I depend on your life. I can't get by just with my life. I know George and all that he can do and all that he can muster up and all that he has available to him in his own capacity, but that's not enough for me anymore because I've tasted of you and the goodness of you and I'm wanting your life in abundance and its fullness in every area. I'm dependent on that. I need you every moment, Jesus. Not because I feel defeated, but because I feel victorious living in and out of your life in me. And so it's to receive that flow of the Holy Spirit. And the fourth point is that the table is a place for examination of self. When we approach the table here today, it says in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 28, but let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. I'm gonna just pick up on the first verse then. We'll look at the second verse in a moment. But what he's saying here is, if we are followers of Christ, if we believe in him, if we're wanting to be partakers of his divine nature, as scripture says, if we want everything of him, then there's something that's required of us that we are allowing a shaping to take place. But because we don't come to him and say, Lord, I want all of your life, but I want to remain um, controlling and facilitating my life. It's saying, no, Lord, I'm wanting all of your life and I want to examine myself because if I'm living short of who you called me to, to be, if I'm living short of my identity as a kingdom man and as a, or as a kingdom woman. I'm wanting you to reveal that with me because everything that's causing me to live short is robbing me and limiting me from receiving the full possibility and the provision of your life to me. So when we look and we see things like wrong attitudes, when we see that we're living in fear instead of faith, when we recognize in our life that there's maybe anger or jealousy or bitterness or unforgiveness. Maybe there's cyclical patterns we caught up in. Maybe we're finding that there's habits that we cannot break free of. And we examine and we see, Lord, this is restricting me. Then we come to the table because we know that at the table we have that of his blood and his body that breaks every limitation, restriction, bondage, habit, cycle that's been keeping us in bondage because that is the place of freedom. And we come and we're not trying to hide things, but we're trying to bring it into the full light of his truth because the word says it's his truth that sets us free. So I'm not hiding from those things in my life. I'm bringing them to the best place I can and bring it to the table, to the place of intimacy and communion with him, unity with him, to partake of him, to take hold of everything he's done for me so that I can become everything he's called me to be. So that self-examination, that was a good point, I enjoyed it. That self-examination, it's not to make less of me. It's not that morose, morbid, melancholic uh, aspect that Katya mentioned. I don't come to examine to make less of me. I come to examine myself so that I can receive more of him and his life to flow into me. It's an it's a amazing place to come. So I come to the table and I bring it all out. 
because I'm examining and I'm expecting, I'm gonna remove these things, every hindrance, every rock that's in the way of the flow of your river of life and grace and blessing and mercy and favor. I wanna see that thing removed so that I can receive the full flow that your blood and that your body has provided. And so that's what self-examination's for. It's allowing us to, to see where there is the lack so that we can make way for the much that he has provided. And the fifth point, as we've looked at, we've looked at it's a place of the celebration of victory. It's a place where it's a declaration of our dependence on him. The table is a place where we examine ourselves. Have I forgotten one? No, I haven't, sorry, I'm just bad at counting. And number five, the, the table is a place of receiving his provision. I've mentioned that already because it says in verse 29, for anyone who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment on himself, not discerning the Lord's body. But here's the question. It says who approaches in an unworthy manner is not discerning the Lord's body. I wanna say that who here is worthy to approach the table? I've asked this before, but I ask myself this constantly because I, I fall into the trap of thinking I've got to earn something, strive for something, and try and attain to something that I can never get to in my own strength because only he is worthy. And so when I come and I, I, I need to approach the table in a worthy way, what it's saying is discern the Lord's body. Discern means to look a little bit deeper to see beyond just what's in front of you. And so I discern everything that's made available to me and of his worthiness. That's how I approach the table. So to partake in a worthy manner means that I ascribe the full worth of what Jesus has done at the cross that welcomes me into the presence of the Father and realize there's nothing I can do to earn it, but it's just the gift that I can receive. Here's the beautiful picture of that. In the Old Testament, we see people, when they knew that there was sin, they would bring a sacrifice to the priest because they knew that they were unworthy, so they brought a sacrifice. But the amazing thing in them bringing the sacrifice is the priest never examined them. Even though they had sinned, even though they knew they were unworthy, the priest never examined them. He examined the perfect lamb. And so when we come to the table, it's we come knowing that I'm unworthy in and of myself, but I'm approaching because of the worthiness of the lamb and you can examine him because he's without spot or blemish. He is the perfect sacrifice. And so we approach with that confidence that Jesus, because of his worthiness, has made us worthy through his blood and the cross, not by any accomplishment of our own, but everything of his own doing and we receive the full provision of the table. Because we know in 2 Peter 1 verse three, it says his divine power, speaking of his righteousness, just a few verses earlier, that we get because of the cross, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And when we come to the table, we know that it's pertaining to all things in regarding life and godliness. So we come not only knowing that by his stripes we are healed, that we can receive health and wholeness there, not only knowing that by his blood that we are cleansed, not only knowing that his blood speaks a better word on your behalf and mine, not only knowing that his blood has overcome the enemy, not only knowing those things, but in all things we receive the full provision. And this is what we're reminding ourselves of as we come to the table. And Jesus says, as I started off, that with fervent desire he had been looking to partake 
of the table with his disciples. And I want to say in the same way, in his desire for intimacy and relationship, for the joy set before him in his enduring the cross that he has seen in your life and mine, he is desiring fervently to partake, to engage with, for us to participate in the fullness of his life. That's what his desire was. It was to bring us into that place of relationship. So as we come to the table in just a moment, and there's two booths here, there's two at the back, there's two more in the foyer, and uh, there's, more, there's more here this morning than we anticipated, so we'll make sure that we um, just keep refilling, so don't worry, you don't have to leave without receiving, because there's enough for everyone. Uh, we are called to celebrate his victory over the power of darkness. Just remember that as you come to the table, celebrate his victory, proclaim his redemptive work, in your life and in those lives that you are believing for, that they would come to know the wonder of who he is. Declare your dependence on him and on each other because it's communion, it's together, we are partaking jointly. Examine and see where there are areas that you can come into freedom, a greater freedom and out of the limitation that the world, that the enemy, that we ourselves put on ourselves to receive the full flow of his provision. And the last one is receive every blessing that his sacrifice has provided. Now I want to take a moment just before I invite you up because we don't want to profess what we don't possess. Let me explain what that means in a moment. We don't want to make these declarations if it's not a reality and we don't have that in our life. This is a wonderful invitation and there's gonna be some of us here today that uh, maybe we haven't come to that point. Maybe we realizing, I thought that approaching the table was a thing of where I had to come in a heavy way and that's what I always thought about the cross and Jesus and demand on me not realizing the provision of him. And, and, and suddenly something's come alive in us and we're saying, we want all of you, Lord Jesus, this good Friday. We want it to be the best Friday and a great Friday. We wanting to, to join our lives, to engage, to partake and to enter into the fullness of life you have. Maybe you are in that place here today and I want to give opportunity so that we can come with boldness to the table.